All right, welcome back to the show today. We do have a special guest with us, Ryan Hemphill from Treasure Valley RPCNA. Yes, sir. What's your, uh, can, you probably need to do that one more time. Like, what's the acronym? Oh, yeah. acronym, Reformed Presbyterian Church of North America. That is a mouthful. It is a mouthful. <laughs> yeah. but. Well, Russ and I are from the URCNA. Oh, yeah, that's right. right. I, I, I always that's okay. forget Full, the last yeah, two letters. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. it distinguishes it, it distinguishes distinguishes us. There is actually a United Reformed in um, the in Great Britain, yeah. but it is tends to be more liberal. Yeah. You know, so the United Reformed Church See, in North America. We don't have the acronym. We just call ourselves the Ghetto Reformed. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're the Gateway Drug. We do have. We're the Gateway Drug. We'll we'll do a whole show on this That's sometime. Right. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, well, See, you you do that, and then you don't know how to recover. I know. You get us into the ghetto, <laughs> and then you don't know where to go. Well, that's why you guys are here. It takes okay. three of you to offset it's one of them. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, so we are reviewing a book right now, What Happens When We Worship. And um, it, it's from a guy named Jonathan Landry Cruz. And uh, this is one of the things he says in his book. He says, church going is monotonous and mundane only because our eyes are blinded to the supernatural wonder that is taking place all around us. As ministers of the gospel, we can probably think of, of, of at least three or four scriptures that talk about what is happening in worship. Like we mentioned yesterday's program that in the book of Hebrews, it talks about you have come to Mount Zion. You have come to the heavenly Jerusalem. In, in the book of Hebrews, uh, earlier in chapter 6, it talks about how you, you've come to this place where you've tasted of the age to come. You've tasted of the Holy Spirit. Um, these are descriptions of what's taking place when the Lord's people gather in the Lord's name under the, the Lord's word. So when we say worship, we don't mean uh, just that, that musical portion of the service. We mean the whole service. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that Jonathan Cruz is doing in this book is he's asking the question, what happens when we worship? And then he gives us several answers so that we could be aware that what what is happening on Sunday is 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 different than anything that's happening during the rest of the week. So the first answer that he gives is that what's happening in worship? Well, here here's what's happening. The most important thing that we will ever do. Can you guys can you guys defend that statement or do you think that's one of those preacher hyperboles? I think it's something that we've been created for. I mean, it's you it, and this is why we see throughout the world um there's all kinds of false religions um if you know, Paul in Romans uh, talks about exchanging the truth of God for a lie, creating the creature rather than the creator. Um, so you see in cultures throughout history, throughout the world, elevating things like the sun, the moon, the stars, the sea, land, and worshiping it. And it's points to the fact that that's something that has been, it's what we are built for. And mm-hmm. we're, we're made to worship God. And so when we come to worship, this is our, as human beings, this is our highest calling. Right, and and what Ryan is saying here, we we all live for something. Right. Everybody lives for something, and if that something is not God, then we're driven by the thing that we're living for, and so we so everybody is worshiping something, and the the only choice we have is what is it that we are going to worship? Yeah. Is God going to be preeminent? Is Christ going to be preeminent, or are my feelings or my mm-hmm. you know? future or the whatever compelling thing that I've created into 
being the God-driven thing in my life, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's your exercise program. Maybe it's, you know, one author, that, one author put it like this, worship is an inescapable concept. Mm-hmm. It's not whether you will worship, but what you, you will worship. worship. So right. everybody in the world worships, mm-hmm. period. Mm-hmm. So you began with this question of, is this hyperbole the worship is the most important thing we ever do? Um, I think the Psalms are helpful in understanding what's going on in, in worship, the whole idea that we're entering into the very presence of, of God. Hebrews tells us how that's possible um, in the New Testament, but that but Psalms, the book of Psalms tell us that that's the reality of, of worship. Um, and you can go to lots of different places, but I, I think um, in the in the 90s, mid-90s through 100, um, is these psalms that deal with 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 God as king mm-hmm. and 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 specifically about how to worship that king um and in psalm 96 it says um Are sorry you still with us yeah <laughs> <laughs> it, it says um, for great is the lord and greatly to be praised he is to be feared above all gods for all the gods or peoples are worthless idols but the lord made the heavens Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Mm-hmm. And so when you w- enter into worship, the idea is that you're entering into the very presence of God and you're entering into his strength and his beauty and you're entering into the presence of, of not only the one and, and the theme in 95, 96, 97, 98, nine, and, uh, 99, and 100 is that you're entering into the presence of the one that made heaven and earth, rules over all things, is holy and righteous and majestic and pure and lovely and all that he is. And worship allows you, through the, the, the work of Jesus Christ, to enter into the presence of, of the triune God. Well, I can't think of anything that's greater than that. Well, this is one of the reasons why I say that God has the first word in worship, because um, when he actually has that first word in worship. When he is the first revelation of worship, then it's fitting for us to have a response. You know, you can look at narrative passages like in Genesis 28 where where Jacob, you know, has a revelation of God in his sleep and, you know, he's this is the time when he's running away from his brother. He's in between a rock and a hard place, and he, he wakes up with the— Was there a pun intended? Yes. But he wakes up, and he says, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Yeah. And he's, he's, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And this is what— the revelation of who God is does to us. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. I've entered in that when I come, when I hear God speaking to me in worship. I'm drawn into that place. Amen. Yeah. So one one passage that's that's that Terry Johnson, one of our speakers, this this last Reformation Voice Conference brought out was uh, John four twenty three and twenty four. Jesus is speaking. He says, "The hour is coming, and is now here." when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Do you guys remember what he, the, the significance of that passage that he brought out? This is the only place in Scripture where it says that the Father is seeking something. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, and what is he seeking? He's seeking worshipers. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he, I mean, um, 
the church's mission, when, when we think about the Great Commission, um, we have like a, a threefold mission, right? Uh, we are to to be on mission. We're to to spread the gospel all over the world. We're to make disciples. But those those are means. Mm-hmm. Um, the the last part of our our mission as a church is to um, um, be instruments in God's hands to make worshipers. Now we mm-hmm. we don't make worshipers. We we preach the word as ministers of of the gospel. But it's that it's the word that creates worshipers, and that's one of the differences between worship and and missions and discipleship. Those things are the means. The end is worship. Well, that's kind of a Piperism, which said uh, missions exist because worship doesn't. We go out to tell people the gospel. We tell them about who God is in order that we would make worshipers. Yeah. That's why we have, like, in all of our orders of worship or liturgies that call to worship. You know, it's something that is should be a reminder, not just, all right, everybody quiet down. It's time to begin. It's this is the holy God that is calling you into his presence mm-hmm. to worship him. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I know that there are a lot of churches that maybe don't have that. Mm-hmm. And, and we're not trying to be um, holier than you or pious. And in, in we, right. we really do believe that worship is, is, is so incredible that we couldn't impose ourselves upon God. Um, that we don't have the right to come into the presence of God. Mm-hmm. He is so other than us that only he can invite us into his presence. And the reality is he does that week after week in all of our churches. But at what cost? Mm-hmm. It was at the cost of his only son that we couldn't ever come into his presence. We're not holy enough. We're not righteous enough. We're not pure enough. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the Holy One of Israel that we're coming into the presence of, that's calling us into his presence, and we would have to run in fear because we can't, but he made a way. Mm -hmm. So every time you hear a call to worship, you should hear it as a gracious call. I'm calling you into my presence, oh, and I've made a way where this is possible, and that way is through the blood of my son and the righteousness of my son that has been applied to you. Real quick, too. um, and, and hopefully we'll get to this in more in depth in later shows. But that phrase "call to worship," perhaps you're you're in a church that doesn't even use that language. Yeah. Um, but it, it's descriptive of what we see, especially all over the Psalms. But it's actually it's it's all over the Bible where God commands His people. Um, like um, pr- so, one example just. To your own soul, Psalm 103, praise the Lord. That's an imperative. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Uh, all that is within me, praise his name. Psalm 150, Psalm 149, tons of places where these commands are, are to come into God's presence with uh, thanksgiving and praise. And then generally what happens, especially in the Psalms, is then there's a reason for mm-hmm. why we should praise God. Mm-hmm. So this language, granted the phrase called worship might be something that, that didn't originate in, in the Bible itself, but the concept is, is just everywhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that, and Jonathan talked about this, I think, yesterday. So if you missed that, go back and grab that in a, as a podcast. But the whole idea that it's a dialogue. Mm-hmm. If God is calling us into to worship and we really understand how amazing that is, the only appropriate response to that 
are songs of praise to God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the opening songs of your church shouldn't be just, oh, these are songs I enjoy to sing. These are songs that make me feel good. Mm-hmm. Your opening songs after the call to worship really need to be, and I would even go stronger than say, and have to be, songs of praise to God. Yeah. Pure praise to, to the great triune God yeah. because he called you into worship. Yeah. It's a dialogue. Yeah. And if you understand the amazement of the call to worship, you're not going to sing a song about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So real quick, dialogue in contrast to what? So the, the, we have two kind of competing models, right? So there's like the dialogical model, and then there's kind of the spectator model. Would that? I'm not trying to like – I'm not sure what you would call it. I, yeah. Sometimes I, I don't well, even some, know if they're applying yeah. a, a true model. It's just but it, but it's eclectic. Yeah. But, it's but essentially yeah. what's happening is the just, idea just, that we might be actors on and that somebody is the actor, somebody's the audience, uh, you know. Precisely. And, and who is the audience? You know, sometimes it's the people in the pew. Sometimes it's even God, you know, and we're just actors on a stage. Yeah. Instead of entering into a communication with God, it's it's all something that gets set up. Yeah, I think that's another aspect of why this is so important. Is that you know has been said here. This is a dialogue with the Almighty Creator of heaven and earth. I yeah. mean, the fact that He would, as you know, the Westminster Standards call the condescend to know us yeah. and to seek, as right. you said, worshipers. Um, we get to go into His presence. Yeah, yeah. and. I had a, hopefully I see the 30 second sign and I hope I'll, I'll finish here real quick. Um, the, I had a professor that said he was in England and he got an invitation um, in the mail. The queen had sent out invitations to foreigners who were in residence to have tea. And it said, you're invited to tea, you know, Buckingham Palace. And it says, you will arrive at such and such time. You will wear such and such attire. So yeah, it was an invitation, but really because of the person who is doing the inviting they get to go have tea with the queen of england and we get to go and have worship with um, creator of heaven amen this has been the gospel for life we'll see you next time